0: And we're live. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of the Wheelie Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Toll, and I'm joined again by Electric Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? Good. Awesome. And we've got, uh, again, a number of interesting bike stories to talk about this week, but also some other interesting vehicles. We've got new e-bike launches from uh, electric e-bikes from Yamaha and Van Moof. Uh, But then we've got some other weird bike projects, such as a uh, bike that was turned into a mini RV or camper and then even some tiny car stuff, which isn't quite bike-related, but it's part of that community of not having big, massive vehicles on the road. So we're going to go over some cool things like an RC an RC car, rather, that was scaled up for adult-sized drivers, and talk about some uh, mini-truck news and some Chinese tiny car stuff. So where are we starting this week, Seth?
1: All right. Uh, Electric e-bikes announces major e bike Electric Bike Update That Will Stop You In Your Tracks. I like the title.
0: Yeah, I had a little fun with that. Um, If you're not into puns, then you won't like it. But that also means you're not a great person. So (laughs) we're going to enjoy this one. So this is all about new brake updates. Um, If you're not familiar with electric e-bikes, basically the one sentence summary is that they're like decent quality e-bikes at an amazing price. Their main seller is the XP 3.0, and it's $999. $999. One of the sacrifices it makes to get that awesomely low entry price is that the brakes are just kind of like so-so. They stop you fine, but they're mechanical disc brakes, and that means that you have to be adjusting them fairly frequently to keep them in in good stopping order. And so they just announced that they are going to update the electric XP 3.0 with hydraulic brakes, and it's not going to affect the price. So the bike is still going to be priced at $999. $999. And this is huge because, for one thing, hydraulic disc brakes are kind of one of those differentiators that kind of like delineate the better bikes from the cheaper budget bikes. It used to be like a sort of a luxury thing several years ago. And now we've been watching uh, hydraulic disc brakes creep down onto, you know, $1,800 bikes and then $1,500 bikes and then $1,300 bikes. Well, now this is the first time we've seen them installed on an e-bike for under $1,000. So this is big news for electric, but it's also big news for the industry because it's probably going to push more companies to focus on bringing better quality brakes into the mix. And so I see this as a huge win basically for everybody, except maybe not any other e-bike company besides electric. But uh, I I mean, already this bike was the best selling e-bike model in the US. And so the fact that it's just getting this much better I think is is gonna be awesome. But there's one other cool thing here that makes this story even more impressive. So anytime there's one of these running updates in a product, it's annoying for all the people who bought it, you know, a week before or a month before because they missed out on this cool upgrade. So to make sure no one's missing out, Electric is going to send out an upgrade kit to anybody who wants one that already bought an XP 3.0 with mechanical brakes. So even if you bought it last year you can still get an upgrade kit which will be ready in about 30 to 45 days and you can install hydraulic brakes on your bike. So really cool that they're not just taking care of new riders but they're also making sure that their existing bikes which there are tens of thousands of them on the road that all of those can be upgraded as well. So that's a really cool thing in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it's uh and and I think it kind of sets a the bar, you know, like if if electric can put uh, hydraulic brakes on a sub $1,000 e-bike, then what's the excuse for everybody else, right? Yeah. And and I know that hydraulic brakes have come way down in price, and they're almost at at parity for for mechanical brakes. So really, there's not much excuse out there to stay with mechanical brakes.
0: Yeah, like if you look at, um, I think it was the, Aventon Cinch uh, 2, the the latest version of the uh, Aventon Cinch folding bike. It's, you know, definitely a nicer bike than the XP 3.0 and it's priced at something like, I want to say 1700 bucks maybe, but it has mechanical brakes. So, you know, it's, it's kind of amazing now to think that there are bikes that are nearly twice the price of this one that still have mechanical brakes. And, you know, that's exactly right. Like I think it's really going to impact the industry and, and, you know, all these companies are going to say, well, you know, now we can't look like, you know, a bunch of schmucks with mechanical brakes if, uh, if electric is charging half our price and has hydraulic brakes. And I think, you know, that's really going to be a good thing for riders going forward.
1: Yeah. Um, and brakes are a huge part of the electric bike uh, situation experience because uh, obviously the extra weight on an electric bike uh, makes the brakes a, a bigger, you know, a more important comp- component, uh, no pump no pun intended there um, <laughs> one thing we were talking about and I can't remember where we landed on um, with the with the brakes behind the fork on the front, I believe there was like some concern that um the torque of the wheel would kind of spin uh, when when brakes were applied at the back would spin the wheel out of the fork it, is that yeah I, where'd we land on that then?
0: So theoretically, that's correct. Basically, when you're rolling forward and you apply the braking force behind the fork there, there is a torque that's applied on the axle that would push it downwards and out of the dropouts. But as long as your quick-release axle is uh, sufficiently tightened, which basically, as long as it kind of like leaves an imprint on your hand when you push that quick-release lever down, right. it's, it's never going to be enough force to pull it out. And as you can see in that picture there, there are those um, uh, washers that have a little like nub on it that goes into that hole on the fork. Mm -hmm. And even if let's say like your quick release axle completely, you know, opened while you were riding, then those washers should keep the axle held in place there and and not let it even fall out. So there's multiple steps. There's also what's called lawyer lips, which below the nut, there are those little protrusions on the fork itself Mm -hmm. that are designed that if the um, quick release opens that you can't actually like the axle can't drop out cause you got to unscrew the end of it to get it wide enough to go past those lawyer lips. So there's like three redundancies there. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you've got a million bikes on the road, then, you know, eventually, you know, enough monkeys typing on typewriters in a room, you're going to get something to happen. But right. theoretically with like triple redundancy, that should be a very rare instance.
1: Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, that just makes electric that much better. Uh, Although we have been hearing some stuff about there. Like there was a comment about uh, the uh, phone support has been disabled. It's only email support. We'll see about, we'll have to look into that one.
0: Yeah. I mean, with, you know, I think they've something like 40,000 bikes or something like that at the XP 3.0s are on the road now. So, I mean, obviously you need to be building up your customer support team to keep up with their sales. But with that many bikes, I wouldn't be surprised if they've got a lot of people all of a sudden Calling their support line after this announcement.
1: Yeah, quite busy. Also, um, you mentioned that they're the most popular model of bike.
0: That specific model is, uh, yeah, the the best selling. That's according to them and based on their um, industry Estimates. data. Like, yeah. So we don't have specific. Basically, Rad Power Bikes is the um, widely believed to be the the top selling e bike brand in the U.S. based on total models. Um, I think electric is either getting close or might say that they've surpassed them, but they have far few models. So, um, you know, rad has like a dozen models, whereas electric has, I think three or four in the XP 3.0, they say outsells any of rad's models. So that would make it the best selling single model in the U S.
1: That's interesting. Uh, so uh, I'm going to segue here a little bit. Um, I had a chance to visit Upway. that uh, they're a European um, uh Kind of like bike reseller, used bike you know, kind of like uh, they buy overstock, they buy used bikes, even they, they even go on like, uh, you know, Craigslist and stuff and look for uh, low cost e-bikes um, for you know, specific models like uh, Super 73s and they buy them, they uh, fix them up, uh, make sure everything works well and then they, you know, resell them. Anyway, um, I was talking to them about like, you know, industry data, what's the biggest bike? They were like, Aventon is surprisingly uh, large. Like, nobody really thinks of them as like one of the big players, but they're like in a lot of markets that, you know, like maybe even the US, they're like one or two. Um, Yeah, well, they've
0: done a a really good job of silently expanding a dealership network, whereas a lot of e bikes are only online. Aventon's in like, I think the last number I saw was I think seventy locations, but I think that's a pretty old number. So they might be you know triple digits now in terms of dealers across the country.
1: Yeah, uh, and we'll have we'll have more from Upway uh, next week. Um, I, you know, I was just there yesterday, so I didn't have time to write up anything. But um, moving on, uh, Yamaha launches special edition electric bike to celebrate thirty years of building e-bikes.
0: Yeah, this is wild. Um, I like I know this statistic, but. I often forget it and every time I'm reminded of it, it's crazy to think that the first production electric bike came out 30 years ago. Um, it was, uh, 1993. And so Yamaha has been building e-bikes now for three decades and they just released to celebrate this 30 year anniversary, a special edition of their YDX Moro 07, which is basically their nicest full suspension electric mountain bike. Um, full disclosure it's not that different than the existing YDX Moro 07 it's got you know like a slightly different colorway it's got some nice badging on it um, but it's it's really not technically that much of a different bike it's already you know a very technologically advanced bike it's got their newest motor on it it's got i think four different sensors instead of like just having a torque sensor to make sure that the the pedaling output is like as smooth and responsive as possible uh, not a cheap bike. I think it's about $6,500 or so. Um, but I mean, this is a you know very high end full suspension electric mountain bike, and it uses their patented frame design. It's called a double twin, where both the top tube and the down tube are actually two pieces of tubing. And that creates hollow cavities where in the down tube, they can stuff the battery in there. and In the top tube, they can stick the uh, shock absorber there to make a more compact frame while still having it full suspension. So, you know, a very advanced bike, nothing like too radically new here since it's really more of a a limited edition anniversary um, model, I guess. But, um, you know, it's great to see them celebrating this huge milestone because uh, lots of times we think of e-bikes as, you know, sort of really coming into their own in the last five years or so. And some people probably think they've maybe been around for a decade, but here you go. 30 years ago, Yamaha launched the first production electric bike so it's it's been a, a wild ride and if anything it's kind of amazing it took this long for them to become so mainstream
1: yeah I'm a, i have to say i'm a little disappointed i wanted to see the 30-year-old e-bike
0: so uh yeah you're about to 50%. see it it's it doesn't look that like odd if you uh yeah go down to the bottom there like it's a little 90s looking but i mean yeah it doesn't look that strange
1: uh i want i'm sure that's a lead-acid battery right
0: um probably that's a good question i'm not sure uh maybe we should do a deep dive into what the first production e-bike looked like
1: original power assist was a torque sensor well they had a torque sensor back then
0: oh they were they were advanced
1: yeah (laughs) i guess probably pretty expensive
0: yeah all right um i mean it's interesting because it's you know it's it's so much like bikes today but i guess if you go back and you look at like an 80 year old bike there's not much different besides like braking technology maybe like the frame's the same the chain is the same the gears are the same
1: yep all right let's move on to the next story uh van Moof uh launches two ingeniously simple yet high-tech electric bikes
0: yeah, and if you're listening, the ingeniously simple is in quotes. That's their terminology. And it's actually really clever marketing because um, these are the, the two new models launched by VanMoof and they're in a way kind of a downgrade. And this idea of ingeniously simple is that they've basically removed a few features to make these more affordable. So these are the S4 and X4. And if you compare them to some of the higher spec uh, and more expensive, like the S3 and X3 from a few years ago, you'll notice that they've lost a few key things. So uh, they still have automatic shifting, but it's been reduced from the um, three-speed shifter to a more simplified two-speed shifter. Um, the display is a little more simple. Uh, basically, they've they're they're pitching this as like you know a simpler, easier to use bike that's more affordable. But really, what it is is it's just they took off some of these more complicated. Um, features i i think it lost the the find my as well or perhaps just the gps integration and um, still has the find my but basically i think that this is a response to some serious customer service and support issues they were having because for a long time people were having problem with parts they were waiting you know weeks and weeks sometimes even you know months to get uh, service from vanmoof and it created this you know real problem with the company's uh, perception and their image in the marketplace that you know if you buy a Van Moof and you've got problems you might be sitting around with uh, a bike you can't use for a long time. And so it seems that instead of perhaps trying to improve some of those parts that were having problems they just said let's take out the problematic parts which I mean these are still very nice bikes so you know it's not like you're getting a you know a, a worse bike here it's just not quite as technologically advanced as some of the bikes we've seen from them. And in some ways, I think that could even be an improvement. You know, Van Vanmoof has very nicely designed bikes. These things look slick. Um, they're a little bit more affordable now. I think it's something like $2,500 is the uh, the price of these bikes, as opposed to the closer to uh, $3,500 that we've seen in the past. Um, so, you know, to me, this is, it's kind of a downgrade, but perhaps it opens up the market a little more to, a wider audience of riders. Um, Seth, I know you've had some some experience testing Van Moose before, right?
1: Yeah, um, I had the S3. Um, I liked a lot about it, um, but you know, I got an early model and, and the shifting wasn't fantastic. Um, I would be going up a hill and it would downshift kind of thing. Which doesn't help the experience <laughs> out at all. Uh, I don't know yeah. what, what the problem with the bike I had was, but I know they've fixed that since then. Um and I, I think uh one of our video guys, Jeff, uh had one more recently that he did a review for <clears throat> 95 Mac because it had the uh, find my feature. And he really liked it. So I you know people either love or don't love fan move. I you know, I, I like what they're doing. I like their, you know, their ideas. They're not super powerful bikes. Um, it's not for somebody who wants to go 35 miles per hour. It's uh, you know, you're definitely getting a workout. Um, they, they bring the European kind of, um, bike experience here. Um, I do really like these colors, um, purple fog, evergreen, foam green, sunbeam yellow. Um, I think at least a couple of those are new. Um, so th- that's definitely an improvement as well.
0: Yeah. I always love when, when companies are brave with their bike colors. I just think like it's, it's such an expressive form of transportation you know like it's it's not like a, a car that just gets beaten up um or you know a lot of people are afraid to buy like a uh bold color for a car for resale value but with a bike like you can be more expressive and then you know the safety feature as well like a bright yellow bike like that someone's yep. gonna
1: see you yep 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 couldn't agree more in fact uh was it you no somebody was telling me <clears throat> uh m- you know make your car the uh the the uh, not the expressive thing in your life, not the uh, the fun vehicle in your life. Make it the responsible vehicle, and then get a fun expressive bike. Ooh, and, I like that. Yeah, because you know, obviously, there's a cost. You know, a, an expressive expensive car is a lot more than a, you know the, the difference. So, um, go. I think that's a, a really good, really good advice. Get get a nice Chevy Bolt, and uh. Get a, a lunatic bike. Yeah, All right. There
0: you go. I like that. Yeah. Like, you know, an extra thousand bucks might get you heated seats in a car, but you can go wild on a bike with a thousand bucks.
1: Exactly. And you'll have a lot more fun.
0: <laughs>
1: All right. Speaking uh, of having fun. Yes. These two guys built the world's smallest and cutest camper on a bicycle. I have to say from the get go, I'm not liking the aerodynamics of this thing.
0: So good news <laughs> You don't have to worry about that because the thing barely moves at like 2 miles an hour. Right. So, uh, aerodynamics not not a huge issue, but um I think this is probably my favorite story of the week and if you're listening and not watching, I'll do my best to describe this, but you really got to see it. It looks like I guess a combination of an 80s RV and a porta potty on the back <laughs> of a tricycle. Um it's it's got that like 80s aesthetic, like the uh, the RV camper in uh, Breaking Bad. And they built it on the back of a pedal tricycle. So this is not even an electric trike. This is just like a like grandpa's pedal tricycle. And they built this um, like fully functional RV camper. So it sleeps two people. These are brothers, and they were very tight in this little bed that they built in there which actually it's kind of like a, a breakdown bed. So they add in a couple two buys into the roof there and lay down some plywood and it creates a, a temporary bed up there. There's a kitchen with like a little sink with running water. It's got plumbing, uh, a little gas stove, which looked like super shady when they were using it. Um, there's electrical. So I guess they've got probably some, um, you know, a, a lead acid battery bank in there because they have normal... Uh, 10 110 volt outlets so you can plug in it's not even like a a jackery or portable battery they've got like wall outlets in there um wallpapered uh nice like windows with curtains uh sunroof there with a vent so it's like a really nicely designed bike camper they they really did a good job building this thing it's not like a you know hacked together um thrown together project and the whole goal here was that they wanted to do a hundred mile road trip on a bicycle camper in two days but once they built it and they set out on this 100 mile trip they realized that this thing was like not impossible to pedal but as soon as you got to a even slight uphill they'd have to have the second guy get out and push to help the the rider even like make progress up a hill so in the first day i think they only made it like seven miles or something when they were (laughs) aiming to do 50 Um, i mean they just like there are so many problems it also it kind of highlighted the need for safe biking infrastructure because a lot of this they did on like bike highways so they didn't have to be on roads but occasionally they would be on roads and if you know it was a big road they'd go on the sidewalk but then even on the sidewalk there'd be like signposts that they couldn't get past with the an rv on the back of their trike so they'd have to you know go backwards down the sidewalk and find another route but uh, all in all i think they did about 25 miles in two days um, though they had to to modify the plan to, to make more progress on the second day, they overnighted in a Walmart parking lot. And in the morning they bought a cheap bike at Walmart and they tied it to the, um, the trike in the front. And they basically sort of towed the, the trike along. I guess they made like a tandem bike out of it. And that way they were able to do like 20 miles on the second day. So they did not quite make the hundred miles that they planned to do. But you got to give them props, A, for building what's like a really cool camper, and B, this entire thing was pedal-powered. So, you know, this is not an electric tricycle. This is an entirely pedal-powered um, RV. So here you can see the, uh, the towing system they've set up. And, and this really helped them make a lot of progress. Yeah, they did like, you know, 20 miles or so with, uh, with this towing set up by using a second bike to pull. So kind of like a, you know, a bit of a silly story. Obviously, this is not like a, a great solution. If you really want to go and have an enjoyable camping trip, your legs are going to be burning after this. But it was pretty cool to see what could be accomplished by a couple of brothers that, you know, really wanted to go out and have some fun and pedal an RV for 25 miles. I think you could ever do this though?
1: Yeah, I mean, my initial question, uh, no. But uh, <laughs> my, my initial question would be... Uh, why not just put a electric motor on there? Like they went to Walmart, they could have like got a Copenhagen wheel or something. Um you know, another yeah. human being's worth of power uh would have been a lot of so they didn't they didn't really plan that out too well. Uh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, i watching the video. Uh they uh seem like they've made a few mistakes. Uh but it's impressive what they accomplished in the the actual camper. Obviously they didn't think a a whole lot about aerodynamics as I mentioned earlier, but they did think about like, you know, plugs and wallpaper and, and things like that. So.
0: Yeah. The the attention to detail is pretty good. I'll give them that like very, very good job, you know, high marks on construction, maybe like a a barely passing grade on execution.
1: Right. Um,
0: Good for them, though.
1: Yeah. No, uh, it's it's an interesting idea. Uh, obviously, lots of places uh, where it could be improved. Um, I was also kind of like, I got a little claustrophobia looking at their sleeping situation up there. I don't even know how you would like get up into it if there's just two. But anyway, um, yeah.
0: <laughs> a of, l- l- little something different.
1: Right. A little something different. All right. Uh, well, let's move on. Check out the street legal scaled up 60 mile per hour Tamiya RC car that fits two adults. And just, just for background, I used to have a Hornet and yeah. um, my buddy had a grasshopper and somebody else in our block had a Fox and we all love those things.
0: Yeah. So this was like the RC car that started like the whole like 80s RC car phenomenon. So um, if you're not familiar, uh, Tamiya, it's a Japanese company. They, they started actually making models, you know, like cars and planes and stuff. And then they moved to RC in the, I think late seventies or early eighties. And yeah, like, uh, my dad had one of the first ones of these that I remember as a kid playing with and like, you know, it was pretty old by then, but it worked great. And so Tamiya is known for like high quality. They're like, you know, a, a name in the, in the RC world. And so this is one of their most famous models uh the uh let's see what is oh the the wild one max yeah exactly um and so this company that's called the little car company it's a british company they uh worked with uh tamia to license the design and they've scaled it up into something you can actually drive yourself so if you ever like wondered as a kid what it'd be like to like shrink down and sit in an rc car now you can have that experience As an adult, and this is this is just like too cool to me because the performance is there. Like this thing goes sixty miles an hour. We don't know how powerful it is, but one of the things that the um, CEO was telling me was that like the whole point of this car is to show people that you can have a ton of fun in an electric vehicle that doesn't have like a massively overpowered motor. You know, like we often see things like the um, the GMC Hummer EV that's got you know like how much power does that thing have? Like just a ridiculous amount
1: uh power wise it's i mean it's got a 200 kilowatt hour battery I and mean, i the think it's
0: just like so over specced you know right like, so it is. the point of this i don't know how much power this is because i haven't released some of the specs yet but you can have like a super fun high performance experience in a small but you know high performance vehicle like this so it's got a smaller i think 14 kilowatt hour battery which is kind of in like electric motorcycle territory, but it still goes highway speeds and, I mean, slow highway speeds at 60 mile an hour, and it's going to be street legal. So in Europe, it's uh, going to qualify as a L7E electric quadricycle. And in the US, they're um, still figuring out the right plan for the US launch. Either it'll be an LSV, which will be unfortunate because it'll be limited to 25 miles an hour, or there are some other options, I think like um, low volume manufacturer um, exceptions and stuff to do a higher speed, uh, low production vehicle like this.
1: On low speed vehicles, can you, like if you're taking them off-road, can you ungovern the the speed or is that illegal?
0: It's a good question. Um, It certainly stops being a legal LSV at that point, but if it's Intended for off-road use, it, it doesn't much matter. I think at that point it'd be like a, um, like a side-by-side or a UTV or something, which mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure. I think there might be some safety regulations for those, kind of like ATVs, but they're they're not um, regulated by the NHTSA anymore. I think like uh, I think ATVs are regulated by the Consumer Product Safety Commission, so it might be something like that, where there's you know just some other things like how they outlawed three-wheeled ATVs and stuff. So probably much much reduced regulations. And there will be, um, I think, non-street legal versions of this as well. So you could probably buy it as a off-road only vehicle. But it would be cool, like you were saying, if you could have like a switch <coughs> that puts it in road legal mode. Though, I mean, how many people are going to you know, keep, keep that switch where it's supposed to be?
1: <laughs> Zero out of whatever are going <laughs> to yeah. do that. Um, yeah. And you, you mentioned uh, it's kind of motorcycle-ish drivetrain. Um, this kind of reminds me a little bit of the Polaris. Um, not, I mean, the body style is totally different, but um, from a you know size and and speed perspective, um, any chance Polaris would make something like this?
0: So they've got some similar toys, like the um, the Razor whatever it's called. Um, that's you know like a high performance off road vehicle like this. Um, it's like certainly not meant for for street legal use though. So um, the nice thing about this is theoretically it'll sort of like live in both worlds. It could be street legal and you could take it off-road, but I could certainly see Polaris doing something along these lines. And, you know, they're, they're making significant progress. They've already got that electric Ranger. It's, you know, conceivable that they're going to take that exact same drivetrain that they worked with zero on and put it in some of their other vehicles, like the, the razor and some of the other things they've created. So I would not be surprised at all if, uh, if you're right. And they, you know, we see something in this, Sort of general category like this coming out from Polaris,
1: yeah. And then, I, I guess the other company that could make something like this would obviously be Zero. Has Zero ever even toyed with the idea of a four-wheeled vehicle?
0: No, we've never heard anything with more than than two wheels from them. If anything, I think that because they've you know invested heavily in developing their drivetrain it made more sense for them to to partner with Polaris like they did. And I think they even signed a, a 10-year exclusive agreement with Polaris, um, you know, a year and a half or two years ago. So I think, you know, they said, you know, we don't want to spend the the uh, resources to develop something like that. We'll just, you know, let Polaris pay us to use our stuff and, and put it in their chassis.
1: Right. Yeah. I guess that gets them out of uh, that idea. Um, and that's probably part of the, langu- the language of the, deal is like, Hey, you're not going to make the exact same thing that we were making here.
0: Yeah. yeah, I bet you're right.
1: All right. So moving on, uh, this is a little bit of a downer, Micah, come on. <laughs> no, you shouldn't, shouldn't get too excited about GM's $14,000 electric mini truck. Here's why.
0: Yeah. So, um, the, the whole reason for this post is that when this mini truck started making the rounds on the internet, it was kind of misrepresented on a lot of outlets and everywhere. I kept seeing people talking about GM's new mini truck and this $14,000 electric mini truck. And it's a really cool vehicle. Like, I mean, it's awesome, but the problem with that is that it's not a $14,000 GM electric mini truck because it doesn't cost $14,000 and it's not made by GM. So (laughs) uh, here's what's going on with this vehicle. This is called the uh, Baijun, uh, Yep EV truck. I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of that correctly, but it's a Chinese electric truck. Um, it's produced by a partnership between uh, General Motors, SAIC, and Wuling Motors. And so General Motors is a minority uh, stakeholder here. I think they own about like 39% or 44% or something of this partnership. but basically, you know this is kind of a um, partially GM funded vehicle, but it's produced in China by Chinese companies. Um, that are state-owned automotive manufacturers. Uh, Secondly, it does not cost $14,000 as everyone is reporting. It's uh, going to cost around 100,000 yen. It's estimated it hasn't even had its uh, price released yet. And yes, 100,000 yen is approximately equal to $14,000 at current exchange rates, But the problem with that is that we often hear this, you know, thrown around as if that's the price that someone could buy it from in the US. And as we've seen with uh, a lot of these Chinese vehicles um, that we've brought to the US, I know personally, I've done a couple imports, the price ends up being around four times the Chinese sticker price that you pay to the factory. Now, something that's, you know, a higher price like this, approximately $14,000 in converted currency is probably not going to turn into $56,000 but you know this could be if it was brought to the US and amogulated probably closer to like you know 30 to 40,000. We just today covered an electric mini truck that is assembled in the US and will start at $33,000. So, you know, maybe you could undercut that a bit with Chinese production, but this is not going to be a $14,000 truck by any stretch of the imagination. If that's the Chinese price then you're probably looking at at you know at least double that if this would ever get into, uh, introduced into the U.S., which is sort of the last part of this. Because this is often reported as a GM vehicle, a lot of people think that it's going to be coming to the U.S. And unfortunately, this is so far from qualifying for uh, low-speed vehicle laws in the U.S. that there's there's no plan at this point to bring it to the U.S. And I personally see it very unlikely that GM would bring this vehicle in the foreseeable future because nothing about it matches current low-speed vehicle regulations in the U.S. So while I'm a huge supporter of electric mini-trucks, the problem here is that this thing has been so misrepresented in sort of less responsible media outlets around the Internet that so many people are mistaken about the the potential and the future of this vehicle.
1: You know, uh, for those uh, not watching, I'm, I'm looking at this old story that we had from 2021, this company called Candy, was going to bring a pickup truck to the U.S. for $28,000. Uh, they obviously didn't. Um, shocker. Uh, yeah. But it uh, it is kind of like a thing, an ongoing thing where um, Chinese companies tease these crazy low prices for what appear to be similar to uh, vehicles similar to, you know, what we're kind of used to. Uh, but in reality, that's just it's just not possible, like uh, to get those vehicles here. I mean, there's there's all kinds of problems. Like one is shipping is expensive. Um, two, the U.S. doesn't really want these vehicles, so they have <laughs> they have all kinds <laughs> of um, tariffs and stuff. So it becomes problematic. Although um, the next story, uh, someone in China just sent me an electric microcar. so. It's not it's not all bad.
0: Yeah, so um, this is a fun one because so this one's about me and that's always fun getting to write first person as opposed to writing about someone else's cool stuff. So this is an electric microcar that was sent to me by a stranger on the internet from China. Uh, someone reached out to me and they were like, Hey, we work for a uh, electric sort of microcar factory in China. It's called Ming Hong. I hadn't heard of it, but they're actually fairly large after i started researching them they apparently make like one hundred twenty thousand vehicles a year which maybe by chinese standards isn't that big but to me that seems like a fairly large factory and they do a lot of um sort of small vehicles both these like you know little micro cars and tuk-tuks and you know rickshaws tricycles that sort of thing so they were like we have this um I guess you'd call it an electric microcar for lack of a better term. It's not really in any legal category and we'd like to send it for you to test out. So this like super janky wooden shipping crate showed up at my family's place in Florida. The crate was like falling apart when it arrived. Uh, I unboxed this thing and inside was this hilariously awesome little Chinese micro car complete with this like big panda decal on the side. Uh, It goes 25 miles an hour. It is surprisingly smooth. The acceleration is smoother than my micro truck. And so it's actually a pleasure to drive with decent suspension. The brakes aren't super strong, but they work fine. Um, (laughs) You can always just put your foot out. There you go. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's like a full enclosed vehicle. You know, it's got windows, doors, um, you know, like high, low beams, windshield wiper, it even has like windshield wiper fluid to, to clean off. And it went through a hard rain too, a few of them. And it was like bone dry inside. Um, I mean, it's a it's a pretty cool vehicle. It's uh, it's got a few quirks. Like, for example, it's center drive, at least the steering wheel is center drive. So the driver sort of sits in the center of the front bench. But the pedals seem to be set up for right-hand drive. So they're off to the, the right side. And I mean, the car is so narrow that it's it's not that big of a problem because your right foot is the one working the pedals anyways.
1: They change but... their mind in the middle of the design. They're like, center. <laughs> but we already put the pedals in. Uh, don't worry about it. Just keep going.
0: <laughs> we'll change it in the next version. <laughs> so, uh, So I was actually driving this with my wife next to me in the front seat and my three Uh, nieces and nephews in the rear. And so when you've got someone next to you in like the passenger side of the front bench, you kind of have to like steer with the wheel in front of your left hand instead of in front of you like directly. So, you know, there are some odd quirks here for sure. But I will say that um, despite a few oddities, the thing actually works pretty well. Um, And also I gave it a new, uh, paint job or, I guess, a vinyl wrap job here because the uh the original Panda was a little much for me. So uh, I did a few, like, Shelby stripes right down the middle of it to give it kind of a, a more aggressive countenance. And I think it really changed the uh, the personality of the micro car here. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with how that looks.
1: Uh, did you also have those lights at the top?
0: No, those came with it. Oh, yeah, wow. that's... I mean, that's a, a standard feature from the factory.
1: Interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah, the stripes definitely... Add a few miles per hour, I think, to the...
0: Oh, 100%. 100%. funny thing is those spotlights on top, that'd probably be like a $400 option on a Jeep or something.
1: Right. Oh, a thousand at least. (laughs) Yeah, so this thing
0: is... I mean, it's like, you know, we often laugh at these funny Chinese electric vehicles. Uh, You know, I write this uh, weekly column where I window shop on Alibaba for uh, awesomely weird electric vehicles. But at the end of the day, if you actually get behind the wheel of these things a lot of them are are designed fairly well you know like they they have their quirks but we drove this thing around for a week you know i had five people in it used it for actual errands yeah yeah. i had uh my three nieces and nephews in the back and my wife with me on the on the front seat
1: wow uh it does not look like a five person vehicle
0: oh we absolutely did it i mean okay if you had adults, it would probably be one in the front and two in the back though. I mean, again, my wife and I were in the front seat just fine. You better be close to whoever you're sharing the the front bench with, but, uh, with three kids in the back, you know, like narrow hips, you can, you can fit three wide.
1: Okay. Yeah. You want to make sure you're, uh, you know, you're in some sort of relationship with the person in the front seat with you.
0: Yeah. Well, if you aren't, when you start, you will be (laughs) when you end. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Um, so, uh, you know, first question, uh, you're driving this on the street. That's that's not legal, is it?
0: Yeah. So um, I had, this is not a street legal vehicle, but I feel like I had a journalistic duty to test this out. Yep. And so I risked my own license to make sure people could get a sense of how well this thing drove is the excuse I'm going with. Okay. And to be fair, I kept this thing in like a very small neighborhood roads, um, did not go on any fast roads. This is not a street legal uh, low speed vehicle. It doesn't qualify for the um, federal motor vehicle safety standards for this category, but I used it on streets that um, LSVs would be allowed to drive on. So while it cannot technically be titled in the US, it was used within its element.
1: Okay. Uh, The second question is... In a drag race, does your pickup beat this, or does this beat your pickup?
0: The pickup would definitely win uh, okay. off the line. It's it's got more of that like throw your head back mm-hmm. sensation, um, but in a like around the town drive, this is more comfortable. I would say.
1: Wow, well, interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And uh, what are you going to do with this thing? So
0: for now, it's been a like a family. Uh, I don't know if "utility vehicle" is the right word for it, but basically, like shuttle the kids around. I took my nephew to uh, his soccer game in it. it it's kind of used the way golf carts would be used, yeah. In a thinking. lot of Florida communities. Yep. Yeah, like if you have, I mean, the the best case for this are those, you know, like uh, the villages in Florida, or there's a lot of places in like you know North Carolina and South Carolina the Carolinas collectively where there are these communities that golf carts kind of reign supreme. And in some mm-hmm. places even have like dual roads where there'll be, you know, a, a large network of golf golf cart paths. And so that's kind of the ideal place for, for something like this. Cause then you could actually use it like a second vehicle almost.
1: Yeah. There's, a, there's even places like uh New York's fire Island where you're not allowed to have anything except golf carts.
0: So. Yeah. Um, in, where's the off of, uh, in Washington, where is that? Like by, I think it's Friday Harbor. Oh, the San Juan Islands up there in, uh, in Washington. There, there are a bunch of those little islands. Yeah. Where you, uh, you can only have like, uh, either bikes or golf carts and stuff. And, you know, this would be, I don't know if this like stretches the line between like bringing a car onto those islands, but I, I feel like this has more of a wheel in golf cart territory than car territory.
1: Yeah. And you can stay dry. I, I like it. I, I mean, so what is this? Uh, you know, they obviously sent it to you for, um, you know, some marketing purposes, I'm assuming, yeah. uh, what, what, uh, so where can, where can we get one?
0: Yeah. Unclear. Um, they, okay. they do have an Alibaba page and it seems like this model, which is the S1 pro is priced at something like uh 1800 or 2000 bucks. Though, like we've seen a lot of these numbers on Alibaba are just kind of place fillers until you actually, you know, talk to the the sales rep about pricing, but that's where a lot of these, uh, micro cars start. And then by the time you get them to the U S it's usually closer to about $8,000 in shipping and taxes and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, that's cool. I, uh, a little jealous have to say, (laughs) well, you had a gem for a while, right? I did have a gem for a while. Um, yeah. Uh, wouldn't recommend that, uh, just because of the lead acid batteries, but, um, I think the newer ones have a uh, uh, lithium option. So, yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's a bit pricey. I was just um, for another story of a, of an electric micro truck here in the U.S. that we might be just came out a few hours ago. So, we might be talking about that one on the next episode. But I was just specing out some uh, gem micro vehicles, and uh, they when you add the lithium battery, it's like a nine thousand dollar option. It really jacks up the
1: price. Yeah. I know, and they kind of they they don't they're not. Trying to compete on price because they have this audience of like, you know, train stations, mall cops, you know, those right. kind of people that they, you know, school campuses that can just pay a lot of money because they just you know they need an inside vehicle or they need a vehicle that, and you know, the gem's the only one out there that can be like titled or whatever. Anyway, um, right. yeah, it's just a shame that uh, stuff like this isn't more more easy to 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 be part of your life. You don't have to have huge cars everywhere.
0: Right. Though I, I do feel like in the next few years, we're going to start to see more of these and perhaps more people will sort of accept it as a second car in the places where, they can be used that way because now, you know, we've got that other company in, in New York, Wink Motors. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the gem is getting a few competitors. So, I mean, I, I think we're in the very early stages of a coming wave of, of these types of microcars.
1: Totally. All right. Uh, we'll keep an eye out for that. Um, uh, we also like uh, I, I spent some time with Trek with their um, uh, fetch stuff. So we're going to have that next week. Hopefully I'll nice. get around to the, the Luna uh x2 review hopefully and you know we're trying to get eric on the show so uh lots of cool stuff coming up we have some um comments to get to here um first one's from facebook walt white do any bike companies apply power generation in their braking system so regeneration we're talking about and we get this question every once in a while but uh take it away
0: Yeah, so it's becoming less and less common. Uh, Rad used to have, I think, two models with it, and they phased out regenerative braking. I'm trying to think of any that still have it. Uh, Rayvolt, I believe, has regenerative braking, and they have it in a cool way where when you pedal backwards, the harder you pedal backwards, the more regenerative braking power is delivered. Um, But it's, it's very rare these days, and largely because it just... I I think a lot of manufacturers don't see the payoff versus the expense of including it because you just don't get very much additional range from such a lightweight vehicle and and really one of the biggest advantages now is just preserving your brake pads as opposed to actually um you know appreciably expanding your range.
1: Uh we have a response comment which is a good one. Um, Walt, check out vintageelectricbikes.com. Uh oh, those right. yeah. those are also uh, regen and we had uh, CEO Andrew on the show, um, and I think we were supposed to get a one of their forty mile per hour bikes at some point. Uh, you better
0: follow up on that. Yeah. I need
1: to follow up on that, and that's uh, exactly. Um, but uh, you know, as as he was saying, uh, it's not so much for adding power back into the battery, though that that does happen. It's kind of just. More to save the uh, brake pads, which is a big deal because it's super annoying to have to change your brakes. Yeah, and on a or, 40 mile
0: an hour bike, that's you know a big deal.
1: Yeah, or losing your brakes, that's also not fun. Um, let's see, we got some emojis here. Uh thinking out of the camper. I guess out of the box, out of the camper. Props <laughs> to them. Uh Carl in San Diego, question for Micah. Have you reviewed, interviewed City Transformer microcar folks? Think so they originate from Tel Aviv. It's that quadricycle with a variable track wheel distance.
0: Yeah, so um, it is a really cool little microcar quadricycle. Um, I think it's a. I think the company started in Tel Aviv and or somewhere in Israel, and they now like have a partner in Europe somewhere. I've seen them at shows, but I don't believe it's in production yet. Um, and I haven't actually tried one, but it is a really cool concept in that uh, the wheel track can expand to be, you know, more stable and go higher speeds. And then it can uh, contract in again when you want to be real narrow and perhaps like slip between cars if there's enough space for that. So a cool concept. I wonder if it's a little overcomplicated for a market that's already fairly price sensitive, but uh, definitely one that we've been keeping our eye on.
1: All right, Crimson Decade. I'm not sure what this means exactly. They are using these gas taxes for just about everything except roads. There should be the same set fee for all registered vehicles. You pay insurance regardless of making a claim. Uh, I believe he might be off topic a little bit there. Um, There there was just a new uh, electric vehicle tax in Texas, but that's on another show. All right. Uh, Carl in San Diego is back. Uh, Micah, do you have a, a monthly garage sale to clearing house all these janky vehicles you come up, come by? Otherwise, you're building towards the story of Florida Man Burns down Neighborhood with Backyard Menager.
0: <laughs> no, I'm definitely trying to become one day like an eccentric old guy with too many weird Chinese vehicles in his uh, backyard. But uh, in, all, in all seriousness, they're kind of spread around family. So I keep my uh, electric mini truck at my parents' place because uh, they have like a 10-acre ranch and they've got a, a one-acre pond. So the, the electric boat from China is currently in their pond. Um, and I need to add a, uh, uh, a sump pump into it because it, it's it's funny. Uh, quick update on the boat. we Instead of mooring it because we were a little worried about if it would take on water, like trusting the seals, we had it on an angle on the bank. But because of that, when it would rain, water would pool in it. And it would run under the seat and into the hole because the boat's not meant to be kept on like a thirty degree angle on a bank. So I really need to add a, a pump into the bottom to keep that rainwater out and then put it in the like actually moored in the lake. So uh long story short, my my weird Chinese vehicles are spread around mostly the state of Florida with the uh that new car being at my sister's place.
1: Wow, you could uh you could have them meet um, you know, like alligator alley or something uh <laughs> in the middle. Yeah, I even have a. Uh,
0: yeah, I, if they can ever make it there on I seventy five,
1: you would need some solar probably and other things. All right, uh, one last question: Does the pond have gators for durability testing?
0: Not that we've seen, but because it's a pond in Florida, it almost certainly can have gators at any time. It's right. like Schrodinger's gator, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're they're always around. All right, that's it for the questions.
0: Awesome. So thank you everybody for tuning in and we will see you guys in two weeks for another episode of the wheelie podcast. See you then.